0: nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community it's called swim nerd live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart tv phone or other device it has all the information you're looking for event heat lane name of swimmer times and places one click on any device and they're watching you swim meet live in real time Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. Set, go. Bruno Fratus, welcome to my yeah. podcast, man. How are you?
1: <laughs> Finally, right. After so long, man. It feels uh, it too feels long. yeah, too long. It feels too long. Was-
0: well let's uh, let's tell everybody how we know each other. Where where did we first meet? How did we first in- get our first interaction?
1: I think first contact I had with you, like of actually talking, it was a 2010 Pempax. If I'm not mistaken, you were part of the Brazilian national team that went to Irvine.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, uh, yeah. Right, I was coaching had, Cesar
0: Cielo and Nick Santos at that meet.
1: Exactly. Oh, you were coaching Nick. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. with that crew that it was Barbosa. Also, I think Barbosa was with me too. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I mean, I'm observe that <laughs> that group that had not only these three guys, but also George Bovell and Fred Busquet and Matt Target. Mm-hmm. That what made me wanted to contact you to coach, I mean, to seek your supervision, your coaching. Uh, that the work you did with that that group that pro group back in a Auburn University, right?
0: Yeah, but you had just really broken onto the international scene at that stage, right? That was kind of was that your first big meet?
1: Yeah, it was. I had I, I have had a couple of World Cups at that point, and yeah. that Panpax was my first one, and I ended up being fourth at the fifty freestyle. Brent Hayden just outtouched me in the final,
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, and yeah. I was just gotten fourth.
0: So that's the first time we met and spoke and kind of interacted. Um, at that time, you were being coached by who? Ari. Ari.
1: Yeah, Ariuson Soares, Brazilian coach, Brazilian sprint coach, the same guy that has been coaching me right now in Rio.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so then you go the next couple of years. You you make uh, what the World Championships and also the Olympic Games, right?
1: Yeah, World Championships uh, in 2011, that's when uh, it was fun because it was the first time I won uh, nationals. It was the 100 freestyle, for those who doesn't know. First time I was Brazilian champion, it was the 100 free. And I don't know if you remember, that was a very interesting race because right before final, you gave me exactly the path of what I, I should do in the race in order to win, to attack the, the other guys who were swimming with me. And uh, I remember the word about a couple of Americans, including Ricky Barrans, had came down here in Brazil to to race us at that uh, at that event. Mm. And uh, it was a it was a pretty cool one. So at that at this one, I've made worlds and my first Pan American Games, which is uh, pretty much of a big deal for us here in Brazil. And then 2012 Olympic games, London, my first one.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I want to get into that stuff, but, uh, you know, I obviously know you personally, um, for, for many years now, we've had a very strong personal relationship. Um, you know, honestly, I think, you know, me more intimately than any other athlete I've ever coached. And I probably feel the same way about you in terms of the, what I know about you and, you know, personally, and also, um, just every, every aspect of, of your life, you know, from being an athlete to being a human, you know, I think we both know each other very, very well. So this, this talk, <laughs> this talk isn't something that's overdue. We've had many talks like little, this before. A
1: little too well, a little too well for our own good, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, but, but, you know, you have told me in the past that, you know, you had an interesting childhood, you know, you, you, you had moments uh, as a kid that probably shaped you right into who you are today. And maybe even who who the swimmer you are today, you know, like I remember as a, as a teenager, you had some tough times, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's right. Uh, let me just point that I've ever had the most loving parents. Uh, the, I mean, my parents, they, they have been to this day amazing to me. And, uh, I always had a lot of love inside my home, Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate, very, um, uh, well, let's say, yeah, fortunate to have such loving parents. But uh, my dad was always moving from city to city, right? Because of his job. He used to work with oil. He's an oil engineer. So always moving. And you know that kids can be brutal, man. Kids can be very cruel at times. So I never spent more than two, three years at at a specific um uh, at a specific place, a city and therefore specific school. So I was always the new kid. And as I was being always the new kid and always the kid smelling like chlorine, right <laughs> and having a dry hair in the morning and uh, going to the school in pajamas and a mash bag, I was always being picked on. So I really experienced uh, some episodes of bullying in my childhood, and I think that's what you mean by episodes that shaped me. Yeah, I had yeah. to deal with—I uh, had to deal with this kind of behavior, the troll behavior, the, the how can I say, the hater, the na- the naysayer behavior around me. You know.
0: And as a young kid, you're you're not the, obviously the the muscular, confident man you are today I mean you're just a kid and so to be picked on at that stage how did you respond to that
1: uh it was tough at first it was tough at first that's why that's why I was saying it was really privileged to have loving parents and a, a a dad a father who taught me how to be a man from a really young age and when I mean how to be a man I, I mean how to deal with this kind of situation like like a man you know how to how to keep my composure and how to dialogue with people around me and how to not put myself in certain situations and how to uh, maybe politely and, and almost in a political way to, to, to stay safe from, from some of these let's call bullies, you know? And, um, well, at some point as, as a teenager, uh, I ended up uh, becoming a little bigger than other kids and a little more muscler than other kids as I was, I was being always an athlete. So that's when, uh, let's say, I started to get a bit aggressive about the <laughs> issue. But that was, again, parents again, loving home again, uh, tutoring, you know, guidance. Especially from a father, that was something that was quickly resolved. And uh, and um, I started to, to direct this kind of frustrations of always being excluded from the kids in the school and stuff like this into swimming and uh, into training, into performing, you know? So it was at, at the beginning, it was a little bit of that feeling of, I'll show them, you know? Mm. And uh, I wanted to be successful so hard because I didn't want it to be picked on anymore. So that's when I started to develop this kind of competitive mindset of uh, of um, uh, really wanting to be successful as a, almost like a survival tool. And yeah. that 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 keeps um, that that stays with me. That begin that started to to grow in me since I was I don't know twelve. 13
0: something like that yeah uh, i mean the reason why i brought it up is i have a photo of you behind what i'm looking at right now and I, it's a picture uh. of you on the dais um next to flo manadu and, and nathan adrian and both those guys are a, <laughs> a foot taller than you Kaza. <laughs> I think it's Kazania and
1: uh oh, come on, not not a foot taller. Let's let's not be me here. I'm six <laughs> one. Okay, I'm still six one.
0: <laughs> but I'm I mean you've always had that... but it has shaped you, right? Like you've always had that like I'll show you kind of mentality, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it certainly had shaped me uh mentally in terms of um I figure out since I was really young that if I didn't believe in myself, nobody would. You know, so I had to be my first motivator. I had to be my first supporter, even though my parents always support me, even though I had some, especially in my late teenage years. And when I went to a professional swim club in Brazil and Sao Paulo, I developed really, really lifelong special friendships. And those friends support me also, but I learned from a really young age how to be my on and biggest supporter and that broke and that put me in a situation that i've always been um me myself always being my biggest source of pressure at the same time so no matter what situation i'm in no matter whoever i'm racing uh, nobody will be able to put me in more pressure than i already put myself daily in practice You know, and also off practice in the psychological aspect of performance, dieting, resting, uh, dry landing and doing whatever I need to do to be successful in my sport. You know, but especially this part of a racing guys who are much, much taller than (laughs) me, it comes down to. Uh, well, it's not a contact sport, you know, you're not fighting when you're, we, we both are, are really big, uh, UFC and boxing fans, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like you're fighting someone bigger than you. It's, uh, when you're swimming against someone much taller or even much stronger, heavier, lighter, smaller, whatever than you, you've got to understand that that person has a specific type of stroke, a specific type of technique so uh mixed up with all this mentality aspect we're discussing here there was also the technical aspect of swimming that i had to develop for myself that is well i'm a little shorter i'm a little narrower you know you see caleb Dressel today the guy looks like a freaking uh, uh square you know his uh, his shoulders are he can barely go through a door i think <laughs> so, so wide that he is So I'm not like that. I'm not seven foot tall either. So I have to develop my own technique. You know, I have to find my own efficiency on on my own way of of swimming, you know, of racing. So that's why I don't think it it matters that much, because, I mean, if I try to mimic, let's say, uh, Alain Bernard. Or, or Florin or any other guy who's much taller than me, if I try to mimic that technique, it's not going to work for me because I don't have an eight foot wingspan, you know. So I had to develop every single aspect of my performance from mentally to technically to physically and diet and all that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I'm glad we're talking about all this. I want to get really in depth with some of this stuff because it's something that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about and analyzing. But um, just to go back in terms of people that influenced you uh, from a young age as a swimmer as well. I mean, I know that you're a very proud Brazilian. Most Brazilians I, I meet are very proud, um, but you have had very strong influences from Fernando Scherer and Gustavo Borges, um, oh, you know, from, yeah. from, a, from Fernando, a young age, right?
1: Fernando's the number one for me, man. I think I think that combo of like, let's say, back in the early 2000s and late 90s, guys like Fernando Scherer, Gary Hall Jr., and of course yourself, Brett Hawk, and all these badass sprinters from back that time. Mm. I, remember, I remember watching like, especially you and Fernando, when you were behind the blocks wearing those... Swedish goggles with a fully shaved head. Hmm. I was like, man, that's badass. I want to be like that, you know. <laughs> I, want to, I, want to, I want to do exactly what those guys are doing because they're not like those lame, boring swimmers, you know, those nice guys, and you know. And also, I mean, Gary Hall Jr., can you imagine that? It, it was all, every time someone asked me, who, who's the GOAT? You know, who's the sprint GOAT? Uh, Gary Hall or Alex Popov?" you know and i was like what are you crazy gary hall gary hall jr of course i mean the guy walks out in a boxing robe celebrating right before right before the race and he goes out there and wins the race can you imagine i mean going through the same thing he he went at some point like walking out to olympic final and having i don't know if i'm able to say that here but like having the having the nuts, having the mm-hmm. courage of mm-hmm. doing it, you yeah. know It's just like, man, it's such a fine line between if you win, you're the hero. But if you lose, even if you play second, people are gonna laugh at you and you're gonna be the clown. <laughs> you know. So if you do some kind of if you do that kind of stuff and you and you go out to race an Olympic final, you' got to be that sure you're gonna win. You know, and that, so, and then those
0: those guys have influenced who, who you are as a sprinter. Uh, you know, these days, I mean, you're you're tatted up. I mean, you're you're very um, yeah. emotional at the end of your races. You know, you sit on the lane line and you know flex. I mean, these things are, are, are maybe things that you, you saw from sprinters in the past that not every not everybody does these days, do they?
1: I don't know. I think it's a matter of personality. You know, I like to have fun while I do it. I don't. I don't race because of sponsors, because of money. I mean, if I race because of money, I will be lost. You know, <laughs> there's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of money in this, in this sport.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I race because I love it. I, I. I actually I swim because I love racing. You know, I swim because I like the thrill. I like the grind. I like to hurt at practice. I think more than any other thing, I like to win races. The feeling of winning races and all that anticipation all that thick air in the call room, especially when you're in a world champ final, that's, I mean, that's what I live for. That's why I wake up every morning and soar and I go to practice and I smash it and I come back to do it again the next day, you know? So I believe in having fun, you know? I hope hope someday I can do, hope someday I can do it with like Gary and uh, and just walk out doing entire show and uh, win the race, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I hope you can do that, too, especially this year. This is the year to do it. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about your Olympic runs a little bit. You know, you had an experience in 2012, where you yeah. you, f- you finished fourth, right? At your first yeah, Olympics in four. London. Yeah. yeah. So was that expected? How were you feeling in the lead up to that? Was it something that surprised uh, well,
1: you? Well, I always, I think it's normal when you're when you're becoming more and more mature you know when you're getting older and wiser you have that feeling of looking back and i usually think that if i knew what i know today back mm-hmm. then yeah i could have probably won the race you know mm-hmm. yeah same thing happens for real for example yeah. same thing happens for many other races but i think that's that's part of the magic you know you learn as you go you don't have you don't have second chances and uh, when you race your first Olympic, you're—I mean, it's not like you're sure you're gonna make your second one. You know, it's a whole other four years of sacrifices and hustling and and working hard. So on that first one, it wasn't really expected, but I was going for it, and I was—and I was—I mean, going there to race, you know, and hopefully try to win the race. But uh, it was—it was a nice experience. It's still another experience that helped me shape the the racer I am today.
0: I know that um, you and I have talked personally about this. So you and I, I'm, I'm okay talking about some personal things. You know, I think that they they ultimately yeah, me too. they ultimately shape who we are. But I, I know that you had an experience in the in the drug testing room uh, after the race that was kind of a little bit shocking to you. And look, I coach Cesar Cielo. I know his um, temperament. I also know his. Uh, will to win is just like any other sprinter you know uh but uh oh uh, yeah yeah this I one think- well
1: <laughs> this one made me hesitant a little bit i never i never spoke about it in public but here we go let's try to make it let's try to make it not as bad uh yes yeah, so i was at the drug testing room after the finals and i was dude i was bawling i was crying like a little baby i mean and i
0: had the team doctor. Because you'd miss the, uh, the podium by what two hundredths yeah, exactly. of I a mean, second. I missed the
1: podium by two of a second. And uh, I was I was man, I was very frustrated. And uh, and Caesar walks in the in the drug testing room and he kind of just dropped the medal on top of the chair like it was nothing. You know, he just won bronze. And he went to the podium and came back a little later and he just dropped the medal like it was nothing and said, I don't want this shit. That's a bronze medal. And I was like, "Oh wow," you know. Yeah. And uh, well, that's just fuel to the fire.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and that's you know, it's it's hard to understand at the time. I mean, I could I could see it from his perspective, but I could certainly see it from yours, it was somebody that just missed it by two hundred. Yeah, yeah. It's uh,
1: it's and I think it's completely understandable, man. I mean, again, coming back to the gold conversation, honestly, I think the, the greatest sprinter of all time to this day, Caesar. you know, he's, uh, I mean, technically impeccable and uh, his races are beautiful and temperament and the, the, the way he used to work. I had a little short, a very short experience working with him, training with him back in Sao Paulo. And, uh, just something that taught me a lot, you know, and I can definitely understand like he's being frustrated with a, with a third place, medal at olympic games you know especially because he won every single race the four years after beijing right prior to to london but at that point i wasn't i wasn't in a in a very good emotional place to to witness that type of scene you know (laughs)
0: Yeah. But it's it's one of the situations too where Caesar was kind of an idol to you. Like he'd obviously won in two thousand eight the gold medal at the Olympics. It was yeah. a big deal for Brazil. You're a young an and up and coming sprinter. You were actually in the race where he broke the world record, right? Were you were you next yeah, to him? True. Were I was, you next I was to him?
1: Right next to him. Mm-hmm. And I was right next to him. And to be honest, that that threw me off my race because by twenty five he was so far ahead. There was you like, could tell was, he was ahead? As what I was by his knees. <laughs> I was right. Ra- I was trying to race. And I had that, you know, that you can notice someone by your side. Yeah. And I kind of picked at it and I was like, oh, dear Lord, something's happening.
0: So this is 2009,
1: 2009. Exactly. How old were yeah.
0: you in that race? 18. Wow, so you're just an 18-year-old kid. You're next to the Olympic champion yeah. and he's he's at the 25 about to break uh, the world record.
1: Yeah, well, my I ha- I remember I had this thought that I thought that he's either going to break the world record or I'm sucking right now. I'm swimming very <laughs> slow because something something's happening for sure. And at that time I swam uh, 21.81. Nick Santos swam in 21.80. And those were pretty fast times. And mm. Caesar just dropped almost a full second on our heads. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, man.
0: What was that like? You're in the lane next to him. Caesar obviously got up on the block and started flexing and screaming. Are you, what's your reaction to that?
1: Man, I gotta be honest with you. I never really believe in idolizing anyone. I mean, I do have references, but I don't have idols. You know, I don't put anyone on a pedestal. So I don't believe in putting people on a pedestal. I I never believe in putting Caesar on a pedestal or Nick, because for for a long time Nick Santos was my direct rival, let's put it that way, at national soil, you know. So always going to the race, wanting to race him, you know, and believing I could win. The same. The same way I don't believe in putting, like, Caleb or Flohan or Vlad in a, in a way of, oh, they're too fast. No, I'm, I'm too fast. You know, they're going to have to deal with me, you know. And uh, if I didn't believe I could win any race I sign up for, I wouldn't be waking up every morning and go to practice, you know, because it wouldn't make sense to me. So in that occasion, it was like I was happy for him. I was happy that that was happening, you know. Especially for like for Brazilian swimming itself, and for such a great champion and hard worker like Caesar. But at the same time, I was like, "All right, we're chasing that." You know, it was something that I felt to my core that okay, now that's a that's a benchmark. You know, that we're gonna have to chase. I'm gonna be here working tomorrow if I need to.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good kind of. Uh, intersection into where we started working together because I stopped working with Caesar in in 2010. So it had been a number of years where where I hadn't worked directly with Caesar, but I think in in 2013 or it may have, may have been just at the end of 2012, I think you reached out to me. Correct?
1: It was 13, uh, end of 2012. I moved to Italy with uh-huh. Ari. We tried to work there for a while. It didn't really work out very well. Uh, I ended up injuring myself and came back to Brazil to have my first shoulder surgery. That was uh, May. It was fun because I injured myself. I swam nationals. You did. Yeah. I made the cut. I made the cut. I made the relay because Marcelo beat me. Marcelo Chiragini beat me for the second spot of the 53, but I made the relay and then I went to, to surgery the week after. So that was May. 2013 and um, by the end of the year I was in Brazil fully recovered and I was really feeling it you know the environment and, and I wasn't really that's that's one thing about myself I really I need to really buy the idea and really believe in whatever I'm doing the environment I'm in so I needed I knew I needed a change and you were the first name that came that came up to my mind where I just thought I had to go to Auburn you know, and I have to train with these guys. And that's when you reached out. And it was kind of surprising when you, I remember I reached out to you, I sent you a direct message on Twitter and you just reply like, oh, how's your shoulder? And I was like, it's okay. It, it, it's fine, I'm fully recovered. And you replied to me something like, well, when can you come then? I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that day was really interesting because I just told you "Well, I can be there January the 4th. I just set a random date. And at that time Michelle, my wife for those who don't know, she had just retired from swimming and she was working like an office job. And uh, I just called her say, "Hey, I'm moving to I'm moving to Auburn, Alabama. You want to come with me?" At that time we were just living together, you know. We were I think we were just engaged. I was like, "I'm moving to the US. You want to come with me?" And she was like, "Hell yeah, I hate this job." And <laughs> we just packed everything and we, we went away. Yeah. And that's how it started.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't say yes to a lot of people. Uh, i I love working with Brazilians. I always have. I, I think yeah. you guys are very passionate, uh, hardworking, very honest, um, and very appreciative, you know, of any opportunities that you get. So I don't, I don't take a lot of people on, especially at that time, I was starting to get burned out with the professional scene a little bit. So, I wanted somebody that was going to be all in and, and just from knowing you and knowing who you were and what you wanted in your career, that's the sense I got from you is like, this kid wants to be the best. This kid wants to be all in and he'll do whatever I tell him to do. You know, if I say run through that wall, he's running through the wall, you know, so they're the yeah, type we had, of people that you we want had to coach. Some
1: of, we had some of these workouts of <laughs> running
0: through the wall. <laughs> <I remember that. laughs> I've done that a few times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so what was different initially when you when you came what was the difference in the environment Uh,
1: man i remember it was it was beautiful i was i was starstruck i was like living a fairy tale on my first week at auburn because i started to realize that everything i was chasing it wasn't i wasn't tripping you know i wasn't it was not just something from That came out of my hair, uh, came out of my head uh, like randomly. And when I went to that team and I started noticing like work ethics, you know, the first thing that struck me was work ethics. You wouldn't hear a single complaint. I mean, one or another, but from like the top swimmers, you wouldn't hear a single complaint. And those guys will show up every day to practice to work with a purpose. And the coach, and w- whether it be you or Tyler, I remember having amazing workouts. Some of the hardest workouts in my entire life with Tyler McGill. And um, yeah, and uh, you guys came to the pool every day with the same purpose and with the same int- intensity than than your athletes. Yeah, you know, and that was beautiful. And working with the strength and conditioning staff, also it was excruciating work it was hard i remember coming back home after morning practice i was that it was the first time ever i was swimming at 6 a.m so i was completely dead i would eat a ton of food go to sleep sleep for maybe three hours after lunch and then just came back to practice to rip it again you know and i remember the first saturday i think the first saturday was like my third day my third second day at practice and we had this absurd session that I've never done it before it was a lot of work, it was really hard and by the end of the workout you just reunited you, Brett, just reunited the the whole team and say, so we got a new swimmer here, he's going to be swimming with us Bruno Fredas from Brazil, he's with the pro group and all that and uh, and I was dead. I was like, "Thank God, this workout is over, man. I cannot take this anymore. I'm starting to re- rethink my options, my life options, you know." And uh, you just came. Now let's uh, let's finish off with six uh, fifties all out from the blocks every two minutes to show him how we finish off a week. And I was like, "These guys are lunatics." <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I did. I did amazing on those. I did really. So I started to I started to find out a whole other level of of effort of work of putting in work of coming to the pool with a purpose of uh, not not having those couple days of uh, just uh, uh, you know what I think I'm gonna skip today or I think I'm gonna like not leading my lane today and from day one you start picking on me on something, teach me something that I consider one of the most valuable aspects of my career right now, which was leadership. So I remember you calling my attention every time I was not leading a lane, you know? I remember you you come and talk to me every time I was not rooting for a teammate or not encouraging a teammate who was not doing well or not showing up at at a dual meet you know, to root for the team and like to give some kind of prep talk to the younger athletes, you know, so that's, that, that was really valuable. So I just, I just, it it was the star of my transition from a mere swimmer to like uh, a more complete athlete, you know, it's one thing that LeBron James talk a lot these days is to be more than an athlete, Mm -hmm. you know. It's more it's dude, it goes way, way beyond. If you want to be really successful as a swimmer, it goes way, way beyond of just crossing a pool faster than anybody else. Because if you think in the back of the day, I mean, that does, I mean, that's worth nothing. Yeah. It's like, all right, you 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 got yourself a piece of hardware, you cross the pool faster than any that everybody else, but what's the legacy you're leaving behind? You know, people, I mean, everybody, everybody wins medals. You know, I mean, what's going to make you different from other champions, you know, from other like Olympians, what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? So that's something that, that I started to to develop as well.
0: Yeah, I think what I wanted to develop with you, the intent with that as well is it's nice to hear you say that and it's nice to see the athlete that you are today is because, um you know, I, I saw potential in you for sure, but I, I'm sure I saw potential on a lot of my pro athletes. But what I found is the pro athletes were coming in and they were trying to take from the program. What can I, what can I take? What can I take? And when things didn't go the, the way they thought they should go or wanted to go, they would either criticize the program or they'd leave the program, you know, in, in a bad, bad way. And, um, and i thought to myself why am i just giving why aren't they giving back you know and so my idea with the with the new generation of pros that i was bringing in was hey you've got to you've got to give more than you take you know and that way that will transform you into being a future leader of somebody that, can, you know, I, I'm the same as you. I, I look at Gustavo Borges as somebody that uh, was, was somebody that I looked up to, you know, and then here's somebody that I, f- I feel like gives back to the sport, you know? So I'm like, well, here's Bruno, this young Brazilian, how can I help him develop into a Gustavo Borges of the future and, and be the person that gives back more than he takes, And so I'm glad that you recognize that. And it's something uh, I'm sure that's why we we kept you around for five years, because you had that mentality of like, at first, it was difficult to understand. But then it was like, it it was like an honor for you. Like you took pride in turning up to the dual meet and being the number one supporter, you know, and then the swimmers took pride in the fact, hey, there's Bruno sitting up there for me, you know?
1: Five years, man. That make me almost an alumni. I won my diploma.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah well. Five years. I could have.
1: I could have gone to college.
0: You could have. You could should have yeah. gone to college. Yeah, exactly.
1: I should have. Yeah, I should have. Let's uh the eligibility.
0: Let's tell everybody the story of our first major championship working together, Dan. Uh, down in down in Australia, the experience we had down there. You ah, remember this? Yeah,
1: I, I still I still got the goosebumps when I think about this one, man, because it was so amazing. Yeah, 2014,
0: cold, down on the Gold Coast. It was uh, it was an incredible event. Coast,
1: most most beautiful place I've I think between the Gold Coast and Rome, it's uh, yeah. it's hard to choose what's the most beautiful place I've ever raced. You know. Yeah. But the Gold yeah. Coast is right there, and it was freezing cold, man. It was like what thirty degrees on the deck, forty degrees on deck, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And. Uh, and yeah, just came there first big championship with you. First big championship after the surgery, so I had just swum a 21-4 at nationals, and it was uh, I didn't know what to expect, and it was a very good time at that time. It was like me and Caesar were number one and two in the world by nationals, right by April, I think. And then he chooses not to go to Pentax. And I'm like, okay, I I gotta take care of business for for the team, you know. This 50 freestyle gotta be mine now. Mm. And I remember we go there, and dude, it was it was I think it was the most beautiful taper I ever had because we were going like deep in the ocean every two
0: days, you know. That's right, yeah, that's right.
1: And eating like those uh, pies, those pastries with beef inside. (laughs) It was so damn good.
0: Aussie meat pie.
1: (laughs) Aussie meat pie, man. It was so good. And then we go there, we swim the relay, I almost have a heart attack swimming the relay, just like every other time I try to race a hundred. I almost <laughs> drop that after the race. And uh, we go to the 53, free. I think I swim a uh, 22, 22. In the
0: morning. Yeah. So we swim In the prelims. 20. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I remember I was still burned off from the relay, you know, because the relay had been like the night before and I was still like feeling really sore from the relay. And I took, I don't know, six breaths, four breaths, whatever. And obviously I came off the pool pissed and you start working and you start working and you start working. And I remember you took off my phone back then remember that yeah
0: well what i came to what i came to find out is that you were reading things and there was a lot of pressure outside pressure because caesar wasn't there then all of a sudden there's people talking about uh, who does bruno fratus think he is you know you know there's a lot of support back home for for caesar you know and you're racing it was
1: like i think it was like on the stone age of internet trolling
0: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so that was not
1: used to it yeah yeah, and right and right after the warm up, I remembered that I was still kind of off. You know, I was still kind of ah, you know what? I don't think I'm, I'm feeling that great. And I came to me and say, you know what? You know, what? I took your phone. And I was like, why? And you were and you told me someone just wrote that you were, you are a really like sucking substitute, for Cesar Cielo, something like that. You know. It's like you're a really bad knockoff version of uh, Cesar Cielo. That's what you are. And that's what they're writing about you in the internet. I was like, what? <laughs> what the hell? All right. Let's give me a minute. <laughs> Suit up, went to the block, 21 4, win the race, flex on the lane line. Boom. <laughs> <Period>. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's it. There's always some, you know. I think I think I found with you early that you would you would get in your head but if I could find a way to get under your skin it was like a new person would come alive in you you know
1: Yeah it's like my alter ego man
0: Yeah yeah exactly so you you are like a normal person you have these it's nerves like, and doubts and fears and then all of a sudden the alter ego kicks in and you become like this yeah, superhuman
1: and the and the dark night comes alive Yeah exactly <laughs> That's it exactly yeah that was pretty much it and, and it was fun man winning winning our, our first uh, major meet together was a it was a hell of an experience and we broke the record right
0: yeah that's right yeah. we
1: broke we broke the meet record that stand by 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 this day
0: yeah so you went from 22 20. 3 in the morning to come back that night and go 21, 21 four. 4 yeah, yeah.
1: because yeah. someone said the wrong thing on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying, man. Keep it to yourself. Otherwise, it's gonna turn against you.
0: <laughs> well, we had yeah. we had many great experiences after that. You know, you and I. Um, I think I got accused of favoriting you. You know, like I think all coaches maybe go through a little bit of that. Of like uh, the people from around uh, around us think, oh, yeah. you know, fr- Bruno's his favorite, but. Yeah. The but thing that I again, loved about you is I
1: heard I heard about this one and then I I'll, I'll ask a question back so tell me who who's winning races and who's just complaining on on practice.
0: Well there's yeah. that, you know, but uh you know what I found is that what I what any coach wants from an athlete is they want that that athlete to be all in. And what I really admire about you and I tell people this all the time, I never met anybody that is more professional in the word professional than you, you know, you not only, you not only looked at your swimming, you know, what you, what you did up and down the pool, but you looked at all aspects of your life and you said to yourself, how can I be the master of each one of these domains so that they contribute to the overall factor of being the fastest swimmer in, in the world? Like you said, you're six foot one, you're not the biggest, strongest, you know, tallest, but, you had to figure out, okay, in order to compete with these bigger guys and beat these bigger guys, you know, not only are you trying to compete, you're trying to beat, then I have to take control of all these other aspects. And and so you really started to hone in on a couple of different aspects, and I'll let you talk about those. What are the things that you started to address very, very heavily?
1: Well, let me start by saying that people use the word sacrifice a lot. And, uh, in my mind, I think that if you think that doing some of the things that your, let's say your job, the sport you chose require you to do, if you think those things are a sacrifice, you started wrong. You know, it's, it's not sacrifice. It's just what you need to do. It's just, uh, ways of getting better, you know? So I don't think I'm sacrificing like, um, sacrificing a night out sacrificing some uh, junk food which i don't even like you know sacrificing people want to be successful but they're going out on a thursday and a friday and a saturday and they wake up hungover on a sunday and then they don't know why they're being outperformed during the week you know so it's about you doing whatever it takes to to be successful You know, and um I think I think it comes a little about it, you know, of um of what do I need to do, you know, how can I get better? How can I do whatever it takes, whatever is legally possible, whatever it's in my reach to do, to to be successful, to win races, you know, to win that specific race. And um and every time, every time I walk out of a race frustrated that i'm not happy with my race instead of letting that push me down that's just another reason why i need to get better because my 100% it's not being enough i need to give 110% 120% 130% you know i need to find ways to get better and that's that's what it is about so i i found ways of getting better in my diet I found ways to get better uh, in my rest, in my mindset, you know, in the way mm-hmm. I approach workouts, the way I approach races and, uh, and all of that. It's, it's just not showing up to practice. You know? Everybody can show up to practice. Everybody can swim a few yards. It's about showing up to practice with a purpose, you know? with a great and commit to something, commit to yourself, commit to your goal. You know, you cannot expect just to show up at practice and the universe is going to give it to you, you know, and you just pray God that you're lucky enough to hit a race, right? And it's about you. Nobody's going to give you anything for free in this world, man. There's no free lunch. You got to go out there and take it with your own bare hands, you know? So it's it's a little bit about
0: it. And even the way that you've dealt with injury, you you know, your mentality towards injury, you know, because you push your body to the limits and you've had yeah. some, some injuries in the past. You've even had some surgeries. Uh, but I've seen the the way that you've approached those things mentally, especially after the last surgery you had and, and the way that yeah. you came back from it. I mean, you and I have some photos of you, you know, on the operating table, you know, and the way you yeah. looked that day. And, uh, and the way that you you you've come back from those things, so even that mentality, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: man. Yeah, that one, that one sucked because back in the summer of 2018, I I was feeling on every stroke we were about to hit something special, you know? Yeah. And out of the sudden, uh, out of the sudden, I just feel my. It was during a race at the Sede and out of the sudden, I just feel my shoulder ripping during the race, like, (laughs) just like you rip a piece of cloth, you know? And I went out of the pool and I knew it. I tried to move a little bit and I just knew it. I tried to, at that same night, I tried to move a little bit and my shoulder was just stuck, you know, and we had, we still swam and won the French open the weekend, one weekend later. (laughs) But I wasn't, it was hurting, man. I wasn't so much pain. I could barely do a streamline you know, and uh, I just knew I had to come back home and, uh, and stitch it up. So on total, I have seven screws between both shoulders. I have three on this one and four on this one. So I just did the, did whatever I need to do. Just took the surgery, did the rehab in Brazil under the national Olympic, my national Olympic committee supervision and uh, just came back. And when I came back, I was ready to work. And we did the work, and we got another silver medal. I don't know, six months later, something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Worlds. Yeah, that's right, Worlds. Yeah, against against Caleb there. You, you know, you that that's where you went to twenty one two. Is that right? No,
1: that was two thousand seventeen. Okay. Yeah, seventeen. The um, two thousand nineteen, I think.
0: Twenty one three.
1: Yeah, twenty one three at the Modern Oceroom and twenty one four at the at Worlds. Okay. Yeah, we kind of messed up the taper a little bit. We end up taking a little bit too much.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you you, you learn it, it as you go. It happens. It, <laughs> happens. it happens. Yeah, so well, t- tell me about your diet and, and your your approach to that. Uh, you don't have to get super specific because obviously I think it's very complex and we could be here forever. But in terms of your approach to your diet, I think it's something that obviously most swimmers um, f- feel like they can just put anything into their body. They could just eat because they, they, they burn calories, they work hard. So their um, idea is... Let me whatever I, I want. Let me fuel with whatever. You,
1: you'll be surprised because this is actually not that hard. Uh, who takes care of my diet? It's, uh, it's Michelle. It's my wife. She's a health coach. Yeah. And, uh, and she studies it. And, um, and she takes care of my diet. And we, we don't even like to use the word diet because diet gives you an idea of restriction, right? So it's more about eating habits. So those are eating habits I end up developing over the time, and Michelle always helping me. That I just know what I need to eat and when I need to eat right now. And um, it's a lot about eating real food in the end of the day, in eating like food that grows from the ground, you know, not like fake processed food and a bunch of sugary snacks and cereal and milk. And I mean, most people they might be not aware of it, but the human body is not supposed to consume cow's milk, you know. So it's just uh, against a few misconceptions of uh, of popular knowledge, you know, that we go against. And um, I just eat real food, man. I eat like lean meat. I eat broccoli. I eat potatoes. I eat brown rice. White rice is processed and I don't I don't eat any dairy or at least I try to avoid as much dairy as I can and refined sugar. I don't even come close. Um, It's been, I think. I don't know, it's been almost 20 years. I don't eat. I don't drink any soft drinks, for example, you know, like fried foods, kind of stuff. I just eat natural. I just eat real food. Things you can actually actually harvest from the ground, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds simple, but it's actually difficult because you travel a lot as well. So there's a lot of food preparation. And then there's also a lot of talking, even talking to chefs when you go to certain hotels, you know, about preparing certain meals. You know, when you're on the nostrum tour, it's almost like you have to eat what's put in front of you. So you are negotiating some of those things as you go too. It's not as simple as just eating fresh food, right?
1: Yeah, that's why that's why I don't believe any type of swimmer should restrict itself. Like a lot of people often ask me about going vegan or going keto, you know, or doing like paleo diet that was in fashion a few a few years ago. And I don't believe swimmers or or any type of athlete should go that restrictive because at some point you're gonna go to Olympic Village and you're gonna have absolutely no control in the food that is put in front of you. So I still, I still eat a little, pretty much never sugar, you know,
0: yeah.
1: and uh, every, I don't know, every couple of weeks I have a little, small little treat and uh, I still eat a little bread and uh, even those whole wheat bread and I try to, I read a lot of labels, man. I spend a lot of time reading labels at supermarkets every time I go to a new one where I don't know what that specific food is, you know. Uh so I try to keep things balanced, you know, so when I go to a let's say a Martin room, I'm not gonna be all picky. I can still eat a, something a little different and it's not gonna upset my stomach. you know. Remember 2018 we went to race in Barcelona and uh, we just had those sandwiches, sandwiches with the mm-hmm. uh, ham mm-hmm. with, uh, Spanish ham and oh, orange juice and all after the race. That's the life man Love that's that. the. <laughs> that's the life, yeah. So I can, still, I can still eat things like this because I make sure I don't go restrictive, you know? But it's all about, it's it's about consistency and it's about the the bigger picture, you know? If well, you really eating more jun- junk food than other things, of course, that's not good. But so you make sure you eat more good things than bad. And about the type of fuel, it's that same old analogy people make you have a you have a ferrari you have a race car you're not going to put bad fuel in it Otherwise, you're going to mess up the the engine you know you got to put the best racing fuel that is
0: well i mean that's the point and and you're talking about big picture and 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 what is the point of all this the point of all this ultimately is to be fueled ready to perform and that means on a daily basis i mean (laughs) what we decided with our training you know, uh, while I was training you and I'm sure you're still doing something very similar to this is to try and be as good as you can each day. You know, you don't want to look at a week of work and say, well, I was good on Monday and I was pretty decent on Thursday and, you know, I was a reasonable week. Let's try and put another reason. Like we wanted to stack up great days onto great weeks, onto great months. So that when we look back in our preparation, we could say without a doubt, we put an incredible preparation together. We are absolutely ready to dominate this race. And I think that's one of the things that really has shown up in your career over the last four or five years. I mean, there's no more dominant sprinter in the 50 freestyle in the world in, in, in history than you. I mean, you've swum 21 seconds in the 50 long course. What is it now? 85, 86 times?
1: Eighty-one. If I'm not
0: mistaken. Yeah. All right. Well, you're slipping a little bit. Let's catch it. Let's catch up here. So you, you, yeah, it was
1: it was it was a unusual
0: twenty twenty. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We missed a yeah. few opportunities, but but you're yeah. at, you're at eighty-one times swimming the fifty freestyle under twenty-two seconds long course, and a lot of people have have asked me like, how does Bruno become so? How's he so consistent? How does he do that race after race? And there was a couple of things that we addressed together. It was obviously the mentality of getting up and and thinking you can swim fast anytime you want. But then there was also the consistency that came with the diet, the rest, the recovery, the training, those things, right?
1: Yeah. What most most younger, young athletes they miss is that performance and excellence, they're not an isolated act. You don't – people ask me, oh, what do you eat uh, at race day? You know, what do you eat a night before – you race. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make any difference what you eat a night before you race. No, I mean it's not. If it you can eat, only hurt
0: you, maybe, but it can't help
1: exactly. you. Exactly. If you if you eat poorly the entire season, the entire year, and before the race you decide to eat broccoli, it's not going to change anything. <laughs> you know. So if you keep just dragging yourself through workouts. And on the last two weeks of taper, you decide to show up. It's not going to make any difference. It's actually going to make you more tired in this case. But uh, it's about consistency, excellence, and performance. It's uh, it's uh, it's a lifestyle. It's uh, it's uh, man. It's been a while. I don't speak that much English.
0: <laughs> I noticed <laughs> a couple of words slipping.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something you do every day. You know, it's about consistency. Yeah. So it's about that. So if you, like, as you said, if you keep stacking good workouts on top of good workouts and then on top of good weeks, months, years and races, because, I mean, it's not going to do anything for you if you had an amazing season of workouts and you come to and you come to the meet and you have the wrong mindset, you know. And you, you, don't, you don't execute. So it's about consistency in every, every single thing.
0: Yeah, and I think this is where the misconception with the 50 freestyle comes. A lot of people think that it's about chance. And what, we, what we did yeah. was we eliminated chance. We, we didn't want it to be about chance.
1: And I'll tell you something. Get any person who says the 50 free. It's about chance and ask them how many 50 frees they ever won in their lives. <laughs> that's that's how I got it. Yeah. It's like man, is it about chance? All right, let's let's go ten fifties uh from from the block right now. Let's see how many you win. How many <laughs> you get the chance of winning. you know
0: yeah well i mean ultimately that's the way it is that's the way it is in competition too and i think i think that's what we established is we wanted to be a dominant sprinter and we wanted we wanted our competition to think wow he's so consistent i know what he's going to do like it's not it's not like i wonder what bruno is going to do today it's like we wanted your competition to come to a meet and be like i know what bruno is going to do so this is it puts pressure on them as well but now we're at a point where, look, we're one of the best swimmers in the world and you're, you're coming into an Olympics again. So what are the things you feel like? Is it, let me ask you this. Does it matter to you still now to have this lifelong dream of being an Olympic champion? Is that still something that... Oh, hell um, yeah. Yeah?
1: Hell yeah. But I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if I didn't believe I could be Olympic champion. You know, I don't think we never, we never trained to be second. We never raced for, for the second place. Why, why would I be starting to do it right now? You know, I had Olympic experiences. I've been to the Olympic twice and uh, I've been in a couple finals. I won a couple silver medals at worlds in my career. So I've been second, I've been third, I've been fourth, I've been fifth. My first world championships back in Shanghai, I was fifth. I've missed sixth at in the Rio Olympics yeah. at the last Olympics. So why would I aim for something I already did? You know, I never won anything. And some people, some some of these trolls, some of these internet haters, they come to my DM to tell me that, to tell me that I never won anything. And I was like, do you really think I don't know that? <laughs> You're telling me that I know that's exactly why I keep waking up every day and going to practice and killing myself at the gym, at the swimming pool. And uh, I haven't got my start right yet. I, I'm 31 years old and I still struggle with my start that, I mean, we're trying to get it better. You know, we're trying to make myself even faster in the water. So yeah, there's, a, there's an avenger an of a swimmer. We got out touch this time. Yeah, there is. So what?
0: And it's Forget okay it. to it's okay yeah. to verbalize your goals. It's it's also okay to verbalize your vulnerabilities, right?
1: I man, I've been I've been through stuff, man. I mean, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of everybody knows my vulnerabilities. Coaches, athletes, I race against. Everybody knows my goals. I mean, I I really don't have a problem with that. It's like what you're gonna do you know, race me, step on the block, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that. I know some people, Oh no, I don't want to say I want to win the Olympics. I don't want to say I have a weak start. Yeah. I mean, you know what? That's just, that just show me you're, you're not a confident athlete. You know, I'm, I'm very confident that I have vulnerabilities and I also have really strong qualities, you know? Yeah. So it's uh, I'm not afraid of it. It's like I'm too old. I'm too. I remember, it's an Al Pacino line. I'm too old. I'm too uh, tired, and I'm too blind to behave like that. <laughs> you know, it's it's a classic movie of his. That's
0: true. That's true. How was your Rio experience, man? I swam at a home Olympics in Sydney, and my I had these dreams of like competing at home, and then when I actually came to do it, um, it was very. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say overwhelming, but it certainly there was a point where I was behind the blocks and it was very hard to breathe. Honestly, it was, it was difficult yeah. to breathe. It, I felt a weight, a heaviness, uh, in the room, you know. Uh, so that was challenging for a 50 freestyler when you're holding your breath anyway. Before the race, it's like heavy, yeah. I think so, is that experience been, for you?
1: I think it's been enough time, it's passed, right? Nobody will, there's not enough a lot of propaganda about it anymore around and people are not gonna care if i say that it was terrible yeah it, it sucked It sucked. it was the worst uh meat experience i've ever had in my entire life it was this real olympics uh first of all i think that brazil it's definitely not a country who could who can afford to host such an event hmm. Right now we're having a COVID pandemic and they're not bads in hospitals. You know? yeah. So the last thing we must be thinking is to like, build pharaonic like, structures to host the Olympics. That that's, should not be happening at all. And uh, I also think that if the Olympics have been in any other country in the world, would have been very successful. Like the relay, myself, Tiago, I really think Tiago should have won that 200 IM. It was one of the most man. It was one of the most beautiful things I ever watched. It was watching him attacking attacking that butterfly in the first split. You know, really got me on the edge of my sit seat. And uh, but it was terrible, man, because people were just trying too hard. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. That people was were
1: it. people were trying to you. You were there. You saw it. You remember people trying to track our sleeps, our yeah. sleep. Yeah, with those sleep watches, they'll give you how much time you're sleeping. You know, remember those goggles, like those yeah. UV light goggles? That was just ridiculous, man. It was like, just just let me work, just let me race for Christ's sakes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, people are just trying way too hard, and that they're that that's really not it, man. You gotta you gotta flow. You gotta be happy. You gotta be like just really flowing when when you go to a place like when an event like that, and also. It was cool, but at the same time, every time you'd see a volunteer, every time you go to dining hall, to a bus, to the swimming pool, someone, because Brazilian, Brazilian people, they're really warm, you know? Yeah. So every time someone wanted to take a picture or someone wanted to give you a word, and usually the words like, you're going to bring us a medal, right? You're going to bring us a medal, right? You're yeah. doing well. eh? you're very strong. eh? let's go. Let's bring a medal home. You're like, chill. You know, yeah. let me do my thing. Mm-hmm. Let me be, you know. And uh, yeah, there was a lot about it. So, and at the same time, it was the most beautiful moment of my career when I walked out to swim the final and the whole stadium was chanting my name. Yeah. And no matter how, my, how focused I was in that moment, that totally threw me off. You know, it's just like a hit on the chest. You just feel feel that those voices you know like trembling the whole place yeah and uh, it was uh i have i have a lot of mixed feelings about this olympics so really i i don't think i enjoyed it overall
0: yeah i i felt the same way about sydney um it was not something that i look back on with a lot of pleasure i'm super proud that i was there and was able to experience it but in terms of athletically I felt disappointed for sure and uh, oh it uh, was
1: it was a great touristic experience <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was
0: yeah, I know it's difficult, but um certainly certainly have had much better experience in Athens in two thousand and four when I was able yeah. to just go and race, you know. And I think that's that's the exciting thing about this year in Tokyo, is like let's just let us race. I mean, we've been cooped up now for twelve months anyway, you know, it's like
1: and the media, man. The media was just a pain every time they want to talk to you, every time there was a sponsor wanting you to take a picture with some kind of product, you know, it was I mean, I was feeling just like a clown in the circus, you know. I was I was there to do everything but racing. That's how I felt like.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it makes you appreciate the kind of even more. Like a a guy like Michael Phelps, you know, like these guys. Like how, how imagine the pressure that yeah. these guys experience, and and the, it's incredible. I think incredible. so too. Yeah, I think so too. Incredible. But yeah, no, I think uh, the exciting thing is we we got the Olympics this year, man. And um, even if there's not a crowd there, I think it's just going to be a chance to, to go back to some pure racing, which I think is more of your forte, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I've been missing that. I've been missing that. I don't think, I mean, on a personal note, I don't think there should be any crowd. Man. Yeah. If we're having the Olympics, and I do believe it is possible to have Olympics, I mean, one of the worst mistakes that can be done. It's like to allow a crowd in to allow people to go watch it, you know? Yeah. Cause there's too much of a liability at this point, I think.
0: Well, we've seen some other sporting events. I mean, you know, you said, we're, we're big UFC fans. We've seen the way they've done it. They've gone to an Island and just had yeah, fights I, and, and broadcasted around and the world.
1: The NB, And the NBA and it's a completely mm. different way of, of, thinking sports is something that the isl is trying to do also you know yeah i think i mean there's nothing wrong about change i think it's a good one if you try to if you try to do it a uh, uh, television friendly uh format you know or even online uh, broadcasting or whatever
0: yeah. Well, I think it'll happen. And I think okay. it'll be, it'll be a great event once, once we get there, you know, cause the athletes will shine, yes, you know? yes, it'll come, come back to happen. pure racing. So, well, listen, man, I appreciate it. I know you got to get to practice. It's been awesome. to Catch up again. And I'm sure we'll do it again before we get to Tokyo. So uh, nice talking to you, bud. Yes, sir, man. I mean, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, we will. Um, I can say this publicly, man, cause I tell you anytime I can, can, tell you i love you and uh wish the best for you and um i'll talk to you soon okay man
1: yeah bro love you too hope it can meet personally someday yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah you're in rio right now we never even said that like you're in rio right now aren't you
1: yeah i i'm in rio right now yeah i had to i had to i had to come here for a while this whole covid thing is crazy you know i had to seek um like training Refuge in refuge <laughs> on my own country. That's that's kind of what I feel like. I'm a refugee in my own country, you know, because where <laughs> my my home pool it's uh, it's in Florida, right? So it's a little bit of uh, a lot of limitations actually to space and time and yeah. yeah. So I'm Rio. So come well, to Rio.
0: I come down there as soon as I can, man. Yeah.
1: It's always fun. <laughs> all
0: right, take care, bud. All right.
1: All right, man. Later.
0: See you, man.